going to keep on monitoring the Service New South Wales website because the guidelines are evolving. And as more regions and now the whole of New South Wales has gone into lockdown, those dates will probably be changed and adjusted accordingly. So, you know, everyone's got different entry dates into lockdown. Definitely the dates will have that 28th of August will have to change. Um, This lockdown is obviously continuing way past 28th of August. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to Update 29 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this update. The guidelines for the New South Wales COVID-19 grants have evolved to living guidelines, meaning they are constantly changing, which of course makes it really hard for us. Here are Susan Franks and Karen Liu, tax policy advisors to chartered accountants in Australia and New Zealand, answering your latest questions about the conditions for the business grant, job saver and micro-business grant for New South Wales. Because Victoria had has gone into more lockdowns than prior to New South Wales, uh, they already established sort of funds to cater for different businesses. So New South Wales, of course, and we went into it, we haven't got that history of lockdown. So they have the the business support grants and the micro-business grant and the job saver payment. Whereas because Victoria has that history of lockdowns, they have these funds. So when Victoria went into a new, another new lockdown, the sixth one, they decided just to continue making automatic payments through those existing funds where they're already helping out businesses. So that's why it's a bit different. New South Wales, they have their new business support grant, whereas Victoria just continued on the existing funds. But because it's been extended a few times now, Victoria does have a new hardship fund because there's actually some businesses that weren't eligible prior to say, maybe prior to this latest lockdown. And now they're experiencing hardship because the lockdown's being extended. So now there is a new one, which is quite similar to New South Wales in that you need a reduction of revenue, but it's actually 70% reduction in revenue. So so that's how Victoria is quite different. They're now providing more support for the businesses that could have been open because they're essential businesses, but because maybe everyone's working from home, no one's there's no foot traffic. So that's why they have this new fund, new support for them. So and New South Wales, we've just had this one long block. So we can work off from these three different types of grants and that covers that whole period of lockdown that we've been experiencing so far. So that, that's the difference between um, Victoria and New South Wales. So the hardship fund that is now new in Victoria, that requires a decline in turnover of 70% or more? Yeah. so That's quite I, harsh. 70%. It is quite harsh, but the Victorian Treasurer was saying it was more aimed at businesses that could still remain open during the lockdown period because there were like maybe convenience stores and stuff like that. But they were in a location where there's not much foot traffic because everyone's working from home. So they have been impacted regardless. And it's okay, you know, if it was only two weeks, the foot traffic might return. But because now Victoria keeps on going into extended uh, lockdowns, they're experiencing hardship because they're just not getting that foot traffic anymore. People are just all working from home, not going out. So that's where they're suffering. And that's why they're asking for a 70% decline in revenue. 
The documents for New South Wales and Queensland, living documents is the way they describe them, because the state states are not used to delivering business grants on this scale. They are evolving their guidance in relation to the business grants continuously. So people need to continuously go back and check frequently asked questions, the the guidelines and the terms and conditions to make sure that they're up to date with the changes that are being put on the website. Do you find it makes sense that all this is administered on a state level? Wouldn't it have made more sense to administer it on a federal level whenever you go th through a 14-day lockdown or a 21-day lockdown? Here are the rules. It's administered through the ATO and Treasury and the financing can be done shared with the, uh, with the states. But wouldn't it have made more sense? That is definitely what we would have preferred as an organization. I mean, when you think about it, most small businesses rely on their accountants for financial advice. The terms that are being used, terms which accountants are used to in relation to an income tax concept, the ATO has actually got the data on the business. The ATO is the organisation which has got the channels to talk to accountants and enable accountants to help businesses get these grants. So it would have been ideal from our perspective if the ATO had continued to be the administrator of the grants. What the politics have obviously got involved here and the ATO putting together IT systems is actually quite a big job. So they needed to have one method for all states that have all states agree for the ATO to actually build a delivery mechanism. And I think that's probably the path that they should go down. And if this continues, it's probably the path that they'll end up going down eventually. But there's a lot of politics between who's providing what and who's paying for what. But I agree with you. Ideally, it would have been administered by the ATO and the cost divvied up separately between the states and the federal government. So one thing that we have found is um, when you look at um, – JobKeeper and what's been happening in the Senate at the moment. The tax secrecy provisions are actually applying to prevent the Commissioner from revealing the JobKeeper grants. So an issue that probably needs to be sorted if the ATO does have a long-term involvement in delivering business grants is changing the secrecy provisions because business grants are for transparency purposes for government expenditure people know who gets business grants, but when they're being run through the ATO, there's a level of secrecy there, which is unusual for a business grant. A huge advantage for us if it had come through the ATO would have been that we can act on behalf of our clients, because the big problem at the moment is we are lodging BES for our clients, we are lodging STP for our clients, we are lodging tax returns for our clients, but now suddenly with these grants, it's here is your letter, go to the website and work it out yourself. That's the that's the main issue where they're getting accountants to be involved in actually determining the eligibility criteria and clients wanting a one-stop service is that the state um, delivery mechanisms are not used to dealing with accountants. Now, Services New South Wales has finally come round to the recognition of the central role that accountants play. And they're now saying that uh, accountants can obtain a letter of, of authority from their clients and send that to Services New South Wales so that they do have some, so Services New South Wales can put on their records that they can deal with the accountant directly in relation to this matter. 
They've said that the letter of authority needs to contain the business's name and business owner's mobile phone number so that they, Services New South Wales can contact the business owner to ensure that the letter of authority is appropriate. So that is coming through. I must admit we've got questions as to who do you actually send it to in Services New South Wales and we haven't got the answer to that just yet. So the letter of authority is basically just that the accountant is allowed to speak to Service New South Wales on behalf of the company or the, the business. But the letter of authority doesn't mean that the accountant can log into the Service New South Wales account as the business owner and then fill out the applications. Or, or does the letter of authority actually can give the accountant the authority to basically go into the system as the business owner? Well, it's not very specific as to logging into the system, but then it does say when they're frequently asked questions, your accountant can apply on behalf of your business. So I guess if that means applying is online, you log into the system and apply online, it means your accountant can do it. So that's how I'm interpreting it anyway. So um, it's it's written there in the FAQs. So so that's a, that's a massive help. If it means with the letter of authority, we can log into the Service New South Wales website once the business owner has given us their username and password and then lodge the application on their behalf. Yes, it does. It is a massive help and it helps the businesses have more confidence that they're actually getting the grants being processed because they know that the information they're submitting has a high level of um accuracy because they've involved their accountants. It feels a bit dodgy to lodge into somebody else's website as them with their password and mm -hmm. username. But let's hope that this letter of authority covers us when we when we do that. Coming to the um, actual grant conditions now, a change in business structure is not a problem. Yes, this hasn't been put in writing anywhere by the New South Wales government, but in their webinars, which we've been monitoring and documenting internally. This has been raised. Now, when JobKeeper was introduced at a federal level, this issue arose then as well. And at the federal government said, as long as it was the same business, it didn't matter whether it was operating in a sole trader and whether it had been transferred to a company. But the same approach has been adopted by the New South Wales government in relation to their grants as well. You will need to contact um, Service New South Wales to allow this to happen to make sure it operates goes through smoothly. When you say contact Service New South Wales, maybe you have a secret phone number. I, I have found it it's near impossible to speak. I mean, you can't get through. You can only lodge a call back and then it takes 10 business days or longer to get a call back. And then most likely you miss the call because you're on another call or in a webinar or in a Zoom meeting. This is the number one issue for our members. It's the most common complaint that we've got is the length of the waits being drop, dropped out and having difficulty getting through to service New South Wales. So chartered accountants, along with CPA and other accounting bodies, have been lobbying services New South Wales to try and establish better communication methods. I mean, first of all, the first approach is to try and get the guidance out there on common issues so that you don't have to call them in the first place. The second way we've been trying to do that is trying to get sort of a hotline for accountants and also the ability to send emails because at least you know once an email's gone, it might have a chance of being dealt with as opposed to a phone call where you just, the issue just disappears, as you said, you know, you play you know, ping pong, yeah, and the phone just 
disappears in between people trying to miss miss calls between each other. So we are having a continuous discussion about Services New South Wales, about how they can communicate with accountants and also how they can communicate changes to accountants because with so many state governments having live or living documents, the pressure on accountants to check websites you know, a couple of times a day in several jurisdictions over several grants is quite onerous. So we're trying to get that process moved as well. Continuing through the grant conditions, charities and aggregate turnover. Charities uh, seem to be at the bottom of the pile at the moment. There's a number of charities that are doing it really tough at the moment out there. They've had a reduction in their donations and trying to determine the decline in turnover has been difficult for a few of them because they actually get government funding. Now, when JobKeeper was introduced, government grants were excluded from the definition of turnover so that the reduction in donations enabled them to qualify for JobKeeper. No such provisions have been put through as yet in relation to JobSaver for charities or the business grant for that matter. So it's a little bit of an unknown. We've certainly made representations to Service New South Wales on behalf of charities trying to get clarification of this issue. For the business grant, it is the 26th of June to the 17th of July. And for JobSaver, it's the 26th of June to the, I think it's the 28th of August. Please correct me if I'm wrong. So that means for JobSaver, you have a lot more options to qualify than for the business grant because for the business grant, you just have three weeks where you can try to find the relevant decline in turnover, whereas for the JobSaver, from the 26th of June to the 28th of August. Hence, you have a lot more options to find a window where you meet the decline criteria. Yes, this is a function of people realizing just how serious this COVID outbreak is. I mean, the business grants was the first one to be grant to be announced, and it was announced when we were expecting to get out of lockdown fairly quickly. So it covered the first three weeks of lockdown. When it became apparent that the lockdown was going to be longer than three weeks, JobSaver was then created, and JobSaver is meant to pick up after the business grants. So. If you qualify for the business grants, you'll probably also qualify for JobSaver and you just sort of roll over into JobSaver. You do have to do a separate application for it, but the intention is you go forward to that. So that's why there's different timeframes. So the business grant was when we're expecting lockdown to be short, sharp and out of it. So it was just to assist businesses for that first three weeks. We come to the realisation that um, it's going to be a lot longer COVID lockdown. We... JobSaver gets introduced and it has broader parameters. As you said, the date's been extended as lockdown's been extended. And we are expecting that the dates will change again as now we've got regional areas going into lockdown like Newcastle and um, we've had Bathurst in lockdown and a few other different regional areas as well. So even today we've had members from Newcastle contacting us, asking us, you know, when are we going to get assistance up here? When are the dates going to change? And we're having the discussions with Services New South Wales about that at the moment. They qualify for JobSaver from the start of the lockdown to the 28th of August, correct? They do. And some businesses may have been affected, particularly if they're in tourism and expecting an influx of people from Sydney. 
So they may already be able to claim it, but a lot of businesses in those areas would only now be starting to be affected. So there probably need to be adjustments to those, the job saver packages and the micro grant packages to try and pick up those businesses. So you just need to have operations within New South Wales, but it doesn't need to be within a lockdown LGA. Yeah, that's okay. correct. Because, I mean, it's in recognition. I mean, when you think, when this, the lockdown started, it was in the middle of school holidays. How many people had accommodation booked in the regional areas? Now, the regional areas weren't affected by lockdown, but they couldn't receive their customers from Sydney. So you needed to be able to support those regional businesses as well as the Sydney businesses. So it's not restricted to the LGAs. But because various LGAs are now getting into restrictions, a wider variety of businesses are being affected. So therefore, the dates in relation to JobSaver will need to be adjusted to help those other regional businesses. So that means the regional businesses already qualified for the business grant for job saver for the micro business grant right from the start if they experience the relevant decline in turnover so if they choose as their turnover period the week starting the 16th of august then their qualification for job saver starts from the 16th of august or does it go all the way back my understanding is it can actually be backdated but because that ends up with the wrong policy result i i would expect that's going to be changing in theory, at the moment, you qualify for JobSaver right from the start of JobSaver because you had the decline in turnover at some stage, but you expect this to be clarified and that it can't be backdated as far back. Yes, that is my understanding. There are a lot of moving goalposts, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. and particularly when you poor Karen and... Uh, And the rest of our team, we're having to deal with Queensland, South Australia, Victoria, Tasmania, ACT. And now Northern Territory's just done a, a, a small one as well. I assume they're going to come out with something too. So mm. it's dealing with each state and territory, even, you know, as I said, even Tasmania is coming out with business grants, even though they haven't got cases. And then they're coming out with multiplicity of business grants, multiplicity of ways of actually accessing it. So accountants have really got a lot on their plate at the moment. Yeah, and it's yes. quite confusing because, you know, after a while there's so many requirements, but they're quite similar in a way to, to access these grants. You could easily get all, the, all of your, uh, <laughs> your conditions mixed up between the various states. So definitely not an easy job to try and keep on top of all the various states' uh, eligibility for business grants. So. And yes. I feel very, very sorry for accountants and businesses on borders. So the Queensland-New South Wales border, Queensland-Victoria border, ACT-New South Wales borders in particular, the number of businesses there that are trying to figure out whether they fall into New South Wales or ACT-Victoria-Queensland regime, where are their employees located, where are their businesses located, what are the criteria for the different business grants in the different states, how do they apply for it? It's a nightmare. It's, yes. we, we definitely need a simpler, more streamlined way of helping businesses when we're facing natural disasters and pandemics like we are at the moment. It's time for you know the politicians to sit down together in one room, come up with one single disaster package, have it run centrally, and then just talk about how they're going to divvy it up. It's unsustainable. I fully agree with you. 
Now let's come to the comparison period. You basically have three options as comparison period. You can choose 2019, you can choose 2020, and you can choose 2021. Is 2019 the vanilla solution that if you choose 2019, it goes straight through, but if you as comparison period choose 2020 or 20 or the two weeks before the lockdown in 2021 that you get put onto the review pile? I have the impression that if you do 2019, yes, it is vanilla and it will go through. If you select another period, it's likely that you'd get asked a couple of other questions just to understand the reason why. And it's probably worthwhile putting that little bit of extra information in the applications to try and smooth the process through. So what Chartered Accountants has been recommending to its members is to put a little bit more reasoning, refer to sort of the old JobKeeper requirements to help put the arguments through for your client as to why they're being these numbers were chosen to try and smooth the process through. So if you choose 2020 or 2021 as comparison period, then add a paragraph in your accountant letter to explain why it didn't make sense to use 2019, why you had to choose 2020 or 2021, be it natural disasters, be it the age of the business, be it something that happened to the business owner, just some reason that safe service New South Wales to have to make a phone call. Got it in one. The guidelines speak of the uh, 2021 comparison period as the period from the 12th of June to the 25th of June. But there seems to be some perception that it is the 11th of June to the 25th of June, which actually would be 15 business days and not 14 business days. And I, and apparently it's coming from the website. Apparently when you put the 12th, to the 25th of June in, it doesn't accept it. But when you put the 11th to the 25th in, it accepts it. Have you heard something like this? Can you shed some light on this mystery? Yeah, a few of our members alerted this us to this um, strange apparition and Services New South Wales has now changed that. So they've now changed it. So the 12th is the right number to be put in. So it's been corrected. Good. Okay, perfect. If you choose a turnover period that is more than 14 days. So for example, you take the full period from the 26th of June to the 17th of July, so the full three weeks. Do you then also adjust the comparison period? If you use the 2021 comparison period, do you then also adjust the comparison period? You do. You're trying to compare apples with apples. So you, you, if you're using three weeks, you've got to use three weeks as your comparison period as well. What do you do when you have issued a letter that was based on your best knowledge at the time, based on the guidelines as they were communicated to you at the time. And now the guidelines have changed. So now your letter is actually no longer to the point. What do you do? Well, in relation to the business grants, I mean, the business grants depended on the de level of your decline in turnover. And that started out initially as just being your 2019 comparison. And then they expanded that to include 2019, 2020 and the week before or two weeks before. And a number of accountants had applied on behalf of their clients based on just the 2019, which resulted in only a 30% decline. So they only got the smaller amount as, as a business grant. And then when the accountants had run the numbers, using alternative periods, they discovered that there was a, a larger decline in turnover. Services New South Wales has said that um, what they've done in relation to that is they've sent letters out to 
people that have applied, letting them know that they can withdraw their let their application if they want to and reapply. So I would imagine that that would be the same scenario that they'd be doing in these other situations as well. You will need to withdraw the application from Services New South Wales and put a new application in. And how do you withdraw? Because once the application is through, there is no withdraw button. You're writing a letter into Services New South Wales. Okay. Good. Let's hope more work for the accountants. Yeah, and let's hope that goes better than the phone calls. Most directors don't have a contract with their own company, especially if they are the sole director, the sole shareholder, etc. There is no contract as such. So that would mean doing STP is enough, correct? If the company regularly pays wages to the director, reports it through STP, would that be enough to establish a contractual relationship between the employee and the business? No. And the reason is that when you look at the New South Wales grants, they're defining employee by definition of a common law employee. And at common law, a director is not an employee. They're an office holder of the company. When you're going to single touch payroll and PAYG withholding, there is a particular provision in the Tax Act that deems director's fees and payments to directors to be equivalent to salary and wages. So that's an income tax concept. It's not a common law concept. And we're finding that there's a lot of confusion in the market, well, accountants and particularly micro businesses about this distinction. So you're saying a lot of directors who pay themselves a wage through SDP are actually not common law employees and hence don't actually have an employing business. That's correct. So you need a contract. Mm -hmm. And the contract can be very straightforward. It can just say, I... XYZ Propriety Limited hereby employ you as my employee. Well, this is where you're getting into employment law. Yeah, my gut feeling is that 95% of companies out there that just have one shareholder and one director treat their director as an employee and view their director as an employee and hence view their business as an employing business and hence apply to JobSaver and micro-business grant or micro-business grant as an employing business. Yes, and it's actually concerning because that misconception then also allows them to double dip and get the Commonwealth funding as exactly. well. Exactly, exactly. And it's quite clear that they're not meant to be double dipping like that. But that even has been confirmed by Service New South Wales. If a director is an employee of the business, and a lot of people will think that they're an employee of the business, that they then can also apply for the disaster payment. Yeah, whether validly or not, it's another question. But yeah, there'll be a common common mistake being made. Yeah, and it all comes down to this concept of common law employee, whether the director is a common law employee or not. And it then all comes down to this piece of paper that you have or you don't have, which is the employment contract. And I remember back to JobKeeper. I mean, this is not a strange issue. I mean, when they rolled out JobKeeper, they had, eligible business participants, New South Wales doesn't. So this is not a new issue. It's just an issue that uh, mm. uh, people are, are choosing to ignore sometimes when they shouldn't. There's this idea that you must have expenses that exceed the grants you receive. 
I don't see this as such a big issue because you can always just pay extra wages to exceed the grant you receive. Do you agree? It is a little bit difficult if you don't have employees to just pay extra wages. And when that also comes back to the concept that, you know, if a director's not an employee because they're not an employee under common law, then you don't, and if you're operating out of your home, so you don't have expenses in relation to leasing a business premises, you, you don't have many costs. So it is an issue. You don't, it's not necessarily easy to pump up those expenses. And Services New South Wales has been made aware of this. It's not in writing anywhere, but in webinars, they've been suggesting that as long as these business expenses, these grants are spent on business expenses, they're not particularly concerned about the time frame that that occurs over. And maintaining headcount seems to be more formality than anything else because you can't send your staff down, you just can't fire them while you have to maintain your headcount. Do you agree? Have you seen many issues around maintaining headcount? I expect that no. We haven't seen issues about maintaining headcount at this stage. As you said, you can stand them down. Your employees can that are stood down can certainly access um, relief via the federal government. But it's actually meant to be trying to keep the uh, employment relationship between the employee and the employer still available and open. The, this um, focus on highly impacted industries, does that have any actual impact on the grants or the payments you receive? My, my impression is it only helps to expedite your application, but it doesn't mean that you receive anything else. It reduces the amount of evidence that you need to apply. So if you're not, if you're in a highly impact industry, you don't necessarily need to provide an accountant's letter. If you're not in a highly impacted industry, you do have to get access to an accountant's letter. It's part of the evidentiary requirements. Last question. If a company has a long history of non-compliance, so tax returns haven't been filed for a number of years, best haven't been filed for a number of years. That doesn't stop you from qualifying as long as you now get all your affairs into order, you lodge all outstanding best, you lodge all outstanding tax returns, and then you provide the, the documents and the data that is required. Is that correct? When you're providing assistance to businesses, you want to provide assistance to businesses that are actually meeting their obligations and operating appropriately. So having your tax obligations up to date is pretty important from a business perspective and make sure that you can compete fairly with competitors and that um, you are actually complying with the legal requirements of operating your business. So if you haven't lodged these documents, then it is yeah, pretty much impossible to get some of the grants. But so, But if you actually do get your affairs up to date, then yes, you can. So there is an incentive to ensure that businesses... Uh, are up to date with their tax returns. I think we'd be we'd have to put the accountants on notice that you've got to keep on monitoring the Service New South Wales website because the guidelines are evolving and as more regions and now the whole of New South Wales has gone into lockdown, those dates will probably be changed and adjusted accordingly. So everyone's got different entry dates into lockdown. And we're probably all going to have the same uh, exit date now, now that we have a statewide New South Wales lockdown. So definitely the dates will have that 28th of August will have to change. This lockdown is 
obviously continuing way past 28th of August. Welcome back. So these living guidelines keep changing. There is a chance that there will be quite a few more things that will change, especially with respect to the latest lockdown areas. In the next update, update number 30, let's look at the business grants in Queensland. And in the episode next Monday, episode 307, Jerry Wombig of Wow Connect will go through the ERP questions you sent in. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.